This episode of Troxel is supported by Avail. Avail helps AECO firms better manage, organize, and navigate information faster. Visit getavail.com today. This episode of Troxel is supported by Confluence, a small conference event for AEC professionals and technology providers to discuss industry trends and ideas together. It's put on by the fine folks at Avail. You can learn more about the upcoming invite-only events during this episode. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. A bit of housekeeping before we get into today's episode. If you've been listening to this podcast this season, you've hopefully heard of one of the sponsors, Confluence, and the live events aspect of the brand, which I'll be attending in October myself. But I have something new to announce. Confluence is now something more than an invite-only live event. It's also a podcast. And it's very cool, if I do say so myself, because it's a joint collaboration between me here at Troxel and Randall Stevens of Avail, the creator of Confluence. So who's the show for? Well, have you ever written software or wondered why the software you use works the way it does? Or want to find out how the people who make the software in our industry do their work? Then this is the show for you. I like to describe the Confluence podcast as the director's commentary track for AEC industry software because in each episode, we go behind the scenes of AEC software development and talk directly with a developer to dissect a feature and their workflows and to get an inside view of how and why they made the decisions they did while creating the software you use. Randall describes it as the AEC industry software version of the How I Built This podcast, which we are both huge fans of. Confluence is a visual show in which our guests show their work, and we think you're really going to like it, and we already have a few episodes out for you to watch. You can find it on YouTube and Spotify right now. Just search for Confluence Podcasts on those platforms, or click the links that I've put right in the show notes for this episode. Go check it out, and of course, please subscribe. It would be amazing to get a boost from this audience right out of the gate. Okay, today I welcome back to the show Lance Amato. Lance is head of customer experience with Kanoa. As a business development leader with experience leading high-growth performance teams, his role oversees the improvement of the experience of subscribers on the platform as well as exposing brand awareness throughout the design community. A nationally recognized leader in the design and furniture industry, he has past involvement in leadership roles on both the International Interior Design Association and American Institute of Architects. In this episode, we discuss the disconnected and circuitous nature of design tools and workflows to the furniture supply chain and project delivery process, the circular economy, sustainability, product fulfillment, Kanoa's Marketplace, which offers a collection of Second Life furniture, their free 2D design tool built for interior designers and architects, or anyone really, to do smart and informed space planning right in the browser, and other topics. So without further ado, I bring you my conversation with Lance Amato. The last time you were on the show was March... Well, we released the episode March of 2021. It's like two and a half years. That's crazy. Wow. You were an early, you were an early episode. 
we were also uh early stage startup at that point right uh no that was that was uh probably less than a year into the the uh, the start of canela so we were we were still kind of navigating uh exactly the foundation of what the company would be yeah and what we would become eventually it's pretty amazing I, yeah it's interesting because you were talking about uh the disarray of energy code adoption across the united states i think you had numbers mm -hmm. in the magnitude of tens of thousands of municipalities like maybe 30-ish thousand municipalities something like that who are all right. have different kind of versions that they they're incantations of various codes because it's all left up to like the local jurisdictions to decide what they're gonna follow and what's best for them and therefore like I think the outcome of that conversation was your push for architects to really be in the room when those kinds of decisions are being made, if not author the the kind of frameworks around what the different municipalities should be adopting and, and have more consensus around that because it was, I mean, it just kind of shows you how much of the wild west there was. I mean, which you were you brought light to that. I mean, that that's just kind of some incredible statistics to understand the nuance and complexity of what we're dealing with in the building industry. I think uh, when we when we talk about the building industry, it reflects um, my experience. Let me, let me take a step back. But my experience in stepping, taking a step back outside the the day to day function of of being an architect to actually explore what it would take um, to research and understand the various facets of, of how we practice. In that case, it was practicing this energy code and understanding it was, was a, a phenomenal experience. Um, and uh, ever since that experience, I actually did get involved uh, with my local chapter, uh, the AIA Westchester chapter, and their participation um, as well as representation into the New York State's uh, evolution of energy code was really pertinent. Um, the, the voice is certainly being heard and, and, and the profession uh, in some states are, are pushing um, how we mold the, the energy code uh, for the next iteration of it. So that was, that was a great experience. And, and honestly, um, this, this company and, and my role uh, has given me the opportunity to explore a lot of facets of how we actually practice our profession. Now, Two years ago, it was it was more towards energy code. Uh, now it's more towards circularity and furnishing. Mm. Uh, and the lessons learned there have been pretty interesting, which is, I guess, the whole point of what we're talking about today. Yeah, uh, I, I think there's definitely been a sharpening of the point when it comes to your approach. You, you started wide. You did this huge survey. And mm -hmm. I mean, you, you, I'm sure you had no idea, if I recall the conversation, you had no idea what you were getting into, you thought something and it turned out to be something entirely different and much bigger. And, but now also to kind of speak to your point about the shift, the pivot that's occurred at Kanoa and in your role, I mean, you have a, a background in interior design, leading a, a large team through various offices. And, and now, I mean, Kanoa, it's when I, when I think of Kanoa, when I look at what you guys have released. When I look at the tools and the the marketplace that you've created for reselling, I guess, I don't know what the right word is. It's not really reselling, but mm -hmm. you've ba basically put together a marketplace of 
this to to help create this circularity that you're talking about with when it comes to furniture and I don't know if it goes beyond furniture. I always want to say like furnishings and equipment because that's my architect, the architect in me talking about that. But I mean, maybe let's just talk about that because you really have shifted in what you're doing at the company. I think your your previous title was something around uh, like research and compliance and things like that. And now it's it's, it's very different. If, if you take my title every two months, it totally changes. <laughs> when you when you uh, are at day one uh, of when a com- company gets together, you have uh, the opportunity to be involved in tons of different things. And yeah. I think uh, some people uh, call me uh, the elastic one where I kind of just insert myself where I'm needed. And where I'm inserting myself now was very different from where it was before, but it always kind of, it always kind of steered towards getting out there and understanding a little bit about where our market is, uh, yeah. understanding where we need to go as a company and organization, and just connecting with the community. Uh, between between now and then, and honestly, since since day one, Kanoa's purpose was to help uh, companies and individuals design better. Uh, originally, in the first year, that was broad, as you say. Mm-hmm. It was um, trying to catch everything, inclusive of energy code, everything you would put and populate in a floor plan, mm-hmm. ideally would capture related uh, sustainable metrics, including energy code. We had since sharpened that pencil, and we've gotten more more focused uh, onto what we wanted to study and, and dive into. And uh, since then, and, and to, to your point, the marketplace release uh, really uh, was, I'd say, the tipping point of what Kano is today. And we've gone kind of past the whole startup phase of exploration into functioning business uh, with the purpose, which yeah. is amazing. And yeah. and um, to go back into to what we've learned, and I will go on to my, my conversation and my, my story at this point, uh, I kind of refocused my, my, my research and my understanding of, of, well, if we're going to help designers design and uh we're going to help designers design with furniture and products in mind uh how do designers select and purchase their products mm-hmm. and when we are I, I live in in the new york city area um many people and individuals at kanoa uh many people that might be listening here also live in major cities and originally many of us feel that uh, the, the method of specification, uh, selection, sourcing of goods and, and into purchasing those goods, whether it's the individual themselves or handing it off to someone else, uh, is done a certain way. But we realized pretty quickly that outside of a major city like New York City uh, or San Francisco or Los Angeles, uh, most individuals uh, purchase their goods and honestly even use uh online resources to understand um, the cost sure. and the finish and feel of their furnishings. Now, the, most of those online resources are developed by residential brands. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'd say that they, they're positioning themselves you know, pretty well, that they're easy to access, uh, their information is widely available, uh, inclusive of how much things would cost and how long they would take to get there. 
And because of the ease of and reliability of information, uh, a majority of the United States uses those tools um, to develop budgets and inevitably buy their product. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of those goods um, are of a grade that aren't for commercial use or mm-hmm. uh, restaurant use or uh, yeah. any other use that would be high traffic. Uh, high traffic. Yeah. Right. And so, so these goods um, often go to waste and they go into landfill. The term mm-hmm. fast furniture comes up a ton. Oh, I'm sure okay. you've heard that and it's posted I out a ton. I, I, I uh, get the concept is... immediately though. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so, so, you know, we realized pretty quickly that there are certain means and methods from, from designers designing massive projects in major cities with massive budgets into just someone in a different part of the country trying to fit out their space that is going to be built in six to eight weeks. Yeah. And how do we reach that audience? How do you make it easy um, uh, for someone that is across the country to attain the information and resources that we would have here. And the marketplace function is, is ideally that. It's, it's constructed and, and, and it, its data is, is molded identically to that you would see in other residential brands, but it is exclusively used for commercial goods mm, um, okay. with brands that predominantly do not have marketplaces of their own. And we, we offer this kind of this pedestal to expand their brand's uh, awareness across the country at this point. The amazing part of this also is since day one, we've always had sustainability and circularity in mind. And we have a category that is the Second Life Collection, which is entirely listed goods from companies um, that have this product in inventory or sitting on vacant floors, just having no use, just sitting there in empty spaces. And we've given these these companies, these subscribers, the opportunity to list their products for resale. Uh, and it's been funny. We originally we had to go, basically ask a couple of companies to list it, but now people are flocking. Companies are flocking to to list their product with us. And it's not only just a major major corporation. Um, there are other people that deal and make furniture that are trying to find sustainable means and methods to get rid of their product. And many people that live in big cities are, would kind of giggle and say, well, who's buying all that stuff? Well, not, not you, but if you go across the country in markets, yeah. Yeah. the Southeast sector, Midwest, uh, the Rockies, uh, those, those cities are still doing things. And it may not just be a major corporation that's building at a huge project, but our, our orders, um, they come and they come in a scale that the common business uh, can buy 20 desks at an affordable price. Um, and we found out actually th- through, through just this, this month-by-month ordering traction that, that uh, every single order we have is a blend of pre-owned product that is now saved from landfill as well as uniquely designed new products. Mm-hmm. And designers or end users, or, or honestly, anyone's a designer at this point, but people that want to create their spaces um, are now like procuring and sourcing uh, these goods uh, because the information is readily available. They know when it's going to show up. 
they know the price uh, and they can just, the ease of checkout flow is, is just so simple that it's just like buying uh, something for your own house. Yeah. So right. we've had great success that and that's just kind of where we're going. This episode is made possible with support from Avail. What's one of the most painful aspects of working in Revit today? Well, we all know that as a Revit project grows over time, navigating the information in that project becomes ever more taxing. And when more than one person is working on a project, a new wave of challenges arise. It only gets more difficult throughout the life of a project. Good news, a huge update to Avail Desktop was just released. Version 4.5 introduces several powerful new features designed to improve organizing, searching, and finding information within Avail. New features include channel groups, application mappings, and scope searches. But let's not all. Let's talk about the all-new Project Navigator, a powerful new feature in Avail for Revit 5.1 that extends Revit's native project browser to help navigate the dense information you're forced to endure as your projects grow. For the first time, Avail will connect your active project to your standard library with one unified search box. With Project Navigator, you can easily switch between active projects, see recently viewed Revit elements, search across all Revit project elements, yes, all of them, conveniently search Avail with one click, filter by all the different element types, navigate to sheets and views, legends and schedules, View individual elements contained on sheets and navigate to them. View family types, and more importantly, actually drag and drop them right into your project. View instances of each family type currently being used in the model, and more. To read all about the new features and see a video of them in action, visit getavail.com. There you'll find a features pull-down menu, and you can look at all of the different features, including the new Project Navigator. Once again, that's getavail.com and look in the bar across the top for that features pull-down menu. Thank you to Avail for supporting this episode of Troxel. Yeah, how much of this was precipitated by the change in, well, the pandemic, I guess, just state it plainly up front. But then after that, what that precipitated as like change of use or empty buildings, quote unquote, empty, not empty of furniture, just empty of people. Mm -hmm. But then realizing that the use is likely going to change or this is an opportunity to change how we use a space. How much of that drove this, this product, this strategy? Oh, it all did. The, the company, since day one, wanted to do this. It's, it's how, we actually, how we actually promoted and got, got in the door, per se, uh, mm. was in a different angle than we presumed we would originally. Mm. We wanted to be a company that would inventory everything within a space. And that inventory would then give awareness to the stakeholders that, hey, we have this much stuff. Yeah. Uh, and once they, they had that, uh, then they would figure out what to do with it. Uh, now, the then they would figure out what to do with it part was the challenge. Because even if you know what you have in your inventory, it doesn't change the fact that you probably need to get rid of your inventory at some point. So, so alternatively, positioning ourselves similar to that of a Facebook marketplace um, has drawn more interest for inbound traffic and inbound inventory requests or submissions, if you want to put it that way, mm -hmm. um, because there is there is kind of that that solution that's right in front of in front of them, uh, and like I said, people are coming to us now on a weekly basis saying, "Hey, I'm a furniture manufacturer and I have." 
showroom pieces that are beautiful. I just want to sell them. Hey, I actually sell furniture. And um, probably the most wasteful thing uh, is I have mock-ups that I've done for major corporations sitting in my warehouse. Mm -hmm. I'd like to get rid of them. They cost me money and I'm just going to throw them away. Right. Uh, alternatively, there's a huge corporation still that's saying, hey, we have four floors of task chairs and wow. we don't know what to do with it. So let's yeah. let's sell it for a very, very discounted price. And you're talking about kind of this regionality based on urban centers where I assume what you're really talking about is like showrooms, right? Or warehouses and showrooms where those are not evenly distributed across the country. I would say I would say they are the showrooms and warehouses where where most of our sources come from are predominantly in two major states, speaking transparently, but you can see it on our platform. They are, they are in the Northeast and the West in California. Uh, there's a handful of warehouses and, and things that are stored at, at customer facilities in, in Chicago. Uh, and we end up actually delivering it across the entire United States because we kind of just, we aggregate all that information and we ship it through those points. So that's where it's usually coming from. Yeah. So talk about the logistics side of that. When, when somebody places an order for, I mean, let's just say a larger order, do you... Mm -hmm work directly with shipping and logistics to make that happen? Or, or do you ha have a, do. a partner in that? Or how do you do that part? We, we have uh, partners, but we coordinate uh, all of that. So we help pick up the products and deliver it to its location. The common question that gets brought up in this is, well, the freight's really expensive. And that's true. But yeah. here's the point, is that for one, the value of what someone's selling a very high-end product for is 90% of what you would spend for it if it was new. The quality of it is more than acceptable at this point to mm -hmm. receive it. And the freight is the freight. Well, it might be a little bit more to get something shipped um, than having it shipped new. For one, uh, it does not equate to, it's actually substantially less than buying a new product uh, plus shipping. And you get it within a week instead of waiting 14 to 24 weeks to do. Wow. And yeah. when I when I talk about the markets that we talk about here, these people do not wait 24 weeks for their their space to be open. They need it done in 4 to 6 weeks because that's yeah. that's the pace that these people run off of. Right. Right. Well, it's interesting that we kind of started with the end. I mean, we started with the the fulfillment mm -hmm. like the the ordering and the fulfillment, but I mean, obviously you make tools to get to that point. And so maybe now we can shift into that part of the conversation because I think what what makes this interesting more than it just being a marketplace where people do their shopping, quote unquote, but they're they're actually designing in the tool and there is a direct link mm -hmm. between the software side and what I would, you know, label as the hardware side, which is the actual fulfillment of the real furniture, not, not like computer hardware, not technology hardware, but but hard goods, right? So talk about that part of it because building that tool, again, making a tool in today's Everybody makes a tool nowadays. I, all the companies that you're mm -hmm. talking about who make the furniture make tools, but it's specific to their furniture, right? I, I assume. That's right. Uh, you think about Steelcase or you know, Hawthorne or whoever is making a, a lot of this, this stuff. It, it, they make their own platforms for design interior designers to lay spaces out, which then we're immediately then talking about duplication of work, right? Because mm -hmm. Those don't necessarily talk to the tools that architects and interior designers are using. And so then we have to start over and, and, and kind of mimic 
that. And so talk, let's talk about Canoa as a platform for design as well as, as the marketplace and fulfillment. Talk about where that started, how that's, how that's transpired over the last two years. So I, I love it. Um, now it gets into the, the fun part of the conversation. So our marketplace, it works. Our marketplace works and, and we get orders on the daily basis. Uh, we, we have the opportunity on a marketplace to have very unique products. And the strength of, of why people come here is the point I brought up before. It's that transparency of data. Now, when we look at the, the typical workflow of what it takes to design a project into buying furniture, there really are, are um, a handful of segments. Uh, for one, there's a tool to source the specification of a piece of furniture. And we will take this in a position of an interior designer in a design firm, mm-hmm. a formal design firm. Mm-hmm. They are sourcing it from many different websites. Or they utilize a single catalog function to source those products. Mm-hmm. But then they have to plan two-dimensionally or three-dimensionally um, that product that is in that's been sourced and specified on a different system uh, on a different platform and right. commonly used we can just say it's Revit or CAD mm-hmm. um, not making any enemies on that we're just a commonly used product to plan yep. tools right um, then and we can say we can talk about Revit integrations all we want but then there is another source to quantify all that data the data that they they can they can construct based on what they've learned uh, into a list or populate it into a list that would be utilized and handed off to someone else. So I've already gone through three simple tools at this point, and I haven't gotten to the tool used to present a design concept to someone. Right. Then now, now I'm gonna stop actually for a second before I do. Then so everything you just stated around um, uh, data and, and handoffs and things like that. The, the tools I've just stated here are tools um, that vastly different tools that designers use over the course, like source and such. Manufacturers supply these interior designers with tools such as websites and links and CAD downloads and, and images and things like that. These are, these are, I'd say, the fidelity of this information, that that data is very, very low because all that designers need at this point to, to get that information is probably the image what the model name is and maybe what like the specification number is problem said that many don't have actually the price yet. If, if it's online and it's wonderful, they have the price exposed. Many don't have the price. So yeah. the data they have to build this, this, this list of information to procure from also happens to have um, not enough data to actually buy it. So then you go into the next set and it's a person purchasing the product. And the person purchasing the product could be another human at that company, mm-hmm. or it's another company that's entirely right, right that represents the sales of furnishings. So now they have this piece of information. Um, it's usually you know hard-coded PDF or something along those, those lines. Um, yeah. Those companies do not use the same sourcing tools of specifications. They don't use websites often enough. They have like specific libraries and catalogs even given to them by manufacturers or they pay for themselves. Uh, they have specific planning tools, which surprisingly are not the same planning tools that interior designs use. 
um, because this planning tool is very is has very detailed information that they need to then hand off to a ordering tool to then place an order with the manufacturers, which often and many times uh, are either linked to major manufacturer or literally just simple emails at this point. Yeah. So yeah. now I've gone I've gone through this crazy problem set of what seven different technologies and and windows being open. Um, to just get a image of a chair bought from inspiration. And this, this, this was crazy. The, the, and this is a lot of the reasons why people buy online and a lot of, a lot of people across the country just go online to, in, to, to get that price and lead time because the amount of, the amount of technologies that are used right now in planning purposes um, to buy something, it's, it's vast. And the break in data, the recreation in that, um, it happens at least once in a cycle, if not mm. twice when you go through it. So the Kanoa is, is constructed and was constructed as a marketplace with an embedded planning tool. Uh, we always did it. We never not had it. Yeah. And the marketplace has related two-dimensional blocks for plan. Where we're going in this part is we realized, I would say, after frequent use of the planning tool to place orders on our own platform, that designers find benefit to having clear data and all data within one embedded source and planning with it. So the minute that you plan with, you can plan with your data and execute an order uh, in the same flow and function in the same platform uh, to place an order in a marketplace and realize there's, there's benefits here, there's some strength here, that the data exists out there and it's it's used by by designers um, for sourcing. If we can build a database of reliability um, for all furniture objects that are available, commercial brands and such, we may not be actually selling everything in our marketplace, but you could design um, through our system uh, an entire project if you chose to do so. And that that's kind of what we've been learning and kind of where we're going at this point. That that the benefits of what our mark, what made our market tool marketplace tool successful, can be applied to any design project, whether you use the actual marketplace or not. You can use a design tool to design. So yeah. That's what we're doing. So, you, you talked about all these various pieces of information that the design team and the specifications team are part of the design team, I guess. But these different levels, they're they're all kind of disconnected at some point along the way right you've got a CAD mm -hmm. block you've got a specification maybe that's like a word document you've got a, a Revit family um, because you know maybe it's going from a, a layout person to a construction documents person at some point and they're gonna you know, maybe they can take the original block maybe not maybe they got to go find a 3d version of that for visualization mm -hmm. or for space planning or you know additional criteria they need to look at ADA and so they want to see clearances and things that may come in a Revit family and then you've got an, an Excel spreadsheet where you're kind of tracking all this stuff and all these are disconnected pieces of information along the path of this design process and then you're even kind of opening the door to this other world that I've never been a part of which is is like the actual procurement where there's another tool involved uh, that's based on a cataloging system and it ties into the manufacturers and, and it talks about, you know, the costing maybe at that point and all these disconnected things. And what you're talking about Kanoa being a platform for is tying all that together so that when somebody places a, a block, uh, 
a symbol of whatever that chair or that table or that cubicle or whatever it is, got this information tied to it. And you're doing that beyond just the things that are available in the marketplace. You want to be that for everything that's out there. And I think it's, it's, it's important to say all that out loud because I think what's so interesting is we do it the way we've always done it because we don't realize that there's a better way. And even hearing about there being a better way in this industry rarely takes hold of somebody Absolutely. to make a change in the way that they do things because we build everything around the way we do things. We build our schedules around that. We build our staffing around that. We build everything around that. And mm -hmm. so just saying, because the, the gap between innovation and adoption is huge, right? So you're innovating a platform that, that solves a bunch of problems, checks a bunch of boxes uh, to make that a better process in so many ways, not just more efficiently, but even in just how I feel about using a tool when I design a project. It could be terrible or it could be great, right? And, and mm -hmm. that has value as well. And you just think about how hard it is to adopt or how hard it is to close the gap between adoption and those innovations. Uh, how many times do people need to hear this before they actually try it out, before they actually take hold of it and share it with somebody else, before it actually becomes something measurable in, the, in change in our industry? It's, this is such a tough a tough problem set to be dealing with. I mean, I, I would love to hear just your experience with that because you're not the only ones doing that, but you're doing it for your piece of, of the puzzle. Right. Uh, I love that you bring this up. <laughs> so, so it has to be verbalized again. And I, I will say it as a person that is fairly new to this, this world, this world of technology and, and honestly, this world of data. I have heard um, experts in this, you know, beat down the door for a decade mm -hmm. that um, data is very important, and it's something I've been, I was always rigid on. Data, the the, the efficiency. And let me go back. I think that the purpose of it, of of what these, what we are trying to build, what other people are building, um, is not necessarily to make your life harder, but it's to make your life more efficient. And the adoption of it um, is always a scary prospect because, like you said, uh, we focus our resources and our schedules about um, a certain stack, a tech technology stack that just tends to work. You may not love it. No one loves retyping something <laughs> in Excel when they look online. And if yeah. you're a listener and you tell me that you love that as your job, then please uh, ping me on LinkedIn and I'd like to have a conversation with you. But, but. The reality is, is that that time is now utilized to retype something that could already have been done better elsewhere. And I'm sure there are companies that are helping you do that, but you're fearful to do it because the time you're investing, like you don't have the time to invest in doing so. The realization that the, sa the saving of time by, by, I'd say, centralizing your data stream is actually saving you time and money. Is is some is this this epiphany that I had when I joined Canela, and honestly, I just realized or late in my in my career. It's always for for me, and it's funny. I relate this back to the build allow hour conversation. Mm -hmm. 
you know, whenever I was in leadership and I was trying to adopt technology, even for no matter cost it was, I always related back, well, it saved me in billable hours. And it always came back to presentations and things like that. The reality is, is that it would have, and it could, if I just adopted it and, and followed, followed suit. Now, yeah. Uh, to answer your question very directly, um, how hard is it to to entice individuals to adopt technology? It is hard. I'm not going to say it's easy. For every, I'd say, dozen emails and LinkedIn posts um, people see, they're very curious about what we do. And I've heard this over and over and over and over again. Um, recently, we've learned that... Um, to, to help kind of build on that curiosity and really entice people to come to, to see what we can do and get into what we're doing, utilizing strategies that have been in existence for 30 years, i.e. a human saying, hi, this is what we do, check it out, right. actually builds on success. And it sounds like it's slow, and it probably is, but we have to come to the realization tech innovators and people have been, that are trying to push the agenda that sometimes we have to kind of adopt some practices to build trust with an individual before they adopt technologies and move forward. And ever since we've been doing that, it's this kind of one-two punch of a blend of, of curiosity and interest with, hey, now I have the trust of, of what we're doing. Um, let me go check it out. And ever since then, it's, it's actually been hugely success, successful and people have been kind of really coming towards the platform and checking us out. Um, and so, again, to go back to your question, um, very hard, but there, there are some strategies that this industry has utilized that we can use today, um, the technologies to, to bring people on. This episode is sponsored by Confluence. I've invited Randall Stevens, the CEO of Avail, to tell you about it. In 2019, we held the inaugural Confluence event, which was designed to bring together the product managers, the technology developers that are working on the products used daily in the AEC industry, and put them in the room with the design technology leaders from the practice side that are actually implementing and using these technologies. The goal isn't to sell anybody anything at these events. The goal is to get a better understanding of what's working, what's not working, and what would be the best products to develop to be implemented in the AECO industry. We've held these three-day Confluence events the past four years and attracted over 100 attendees. We have an exciting agenda plan for our annual event in October. The theme this year is going to be focused around AI and machine learning and its applications in the AEC industry. You can learn more about Confluence at getavail.com confluence. There's a lot of baggage out there that the design professional carries, which is based mm -hmm. on failures of other promises to deliver on those things in the past, right? And so sure. there's a lot of hesitation there in adopting. Everybody feels digital fatigue, tool fatigue. There's a tool for everything mm -hmm. out there. I only have so much time in the day. I already know what I'm doing, you know, and, and even if it takes me longer, like, where am I going to find the time to invest in learning a new tool that will, quote unquote, save me time? And that's where that baggage comes back in, which says, I tried that a few times and didn't work out because various reasons, right? Maybe they didn't invest enough time. Maybe it wasn't a great tool. I mean, maybe it didn't actually do what it was promised it would do. 
And so now it's like, we're totally shy to even try to try a new tool to try something out. And so it kind of takes that. I like that you brought it back to trust and, and you didn't say it directly, but I would say relationships with real people, Yep. which is, which then when they're ready, when uh, that next project or that next process, or they do find some time, they are going to have that trust where they can go in and say, I'm actually going to try it out. And, and to have somebody there that they can talk to a real person, I think is, is a key to be available then. And when that actually happens, because questions will arise and it's not going to be as intuitive as somebody else said it was. I mean, for example, so these are the kinds of things I think that what I love seeing and, and why you're on this show is because that you guys get that you understand that you're not just saying, it, it was interesting. You think about Apple, you think about Steve Jobs saying, you know, here's the iPad. Uh, we don't even know what it's for, but you already know how to use it. And it's kind of like hands off, hand out, hand over. And you're saying like, here's a tool and we think it's going to help you in all these ways. And we're here to, we're, we're here when you need us. I think that that's a, a mm -hmm. little bit of a different take on technology than most companies have, which is like download our thing and use it and it'll do X, Y, and Z versus download our tool, give me a call or whatever, however you can interface with them to, to actually be there to hold the hand if they need it. Let me add, add to that point. Many softwares and tools uh, are sold at a very high cost mm -hmm. to probably business leadership as a degree of efficiency. There are specific salespeople that do that. Honestly, we tried the same thing for quite some time too. Mm. Um, it doesn't necessarily, even though it's sold to business leadership, um, those business leaders may not actually know what the day-to-day -day person does functionally. They and don't. And then now right. you suddenly have brought down, <laughs> yes, okay, right. well, you've suddenly brought, brought this hammer of forcefulness down into someone's life. I have to use this for, wait, what? I didn't even know it. We, we have decided to go the other route. Mm. Our, our platform is entirely free. You can, mm -hmm. you can sign up today. We ask for your first and last name. Um, and that's it. So you sign up and you can explore the, the, the design tool. You can construct any like two-dimensional block and, and product image you choose. You can use our tool to resource specifications on our shop for lead times. You don't even need to actually buy anything uh, for it. We have available options if you chose to do it for the marketplace. But the purpose, we, we, we've seen, we, instead of saying, hey, we know what designers want, we're going to build it for them and then sell it to their bosses. We said, let's just see what happens when people do stuff. Even this morning, I've, I've seen uh, someone use our design tool uh, to inventory their entire 15,000 square foot floor plate. We didn't tell them to do it. We're just watching, well, we're not really watching you, but I'm just saying that we, we realized that <laughs> right. they did it. And they go, wow, there's there's a there's a hundred inventory SKUs in our database. We Let's say inventory, how did that come to be? And people are using the design tool to design. And I think that's a really powerful thing. Suddenly, out of curiosity, um, someone just came in and said, I can, hey, I can use it for this. Let me start doing this. It's not going to cost me anything. But suddenly, when you start to build that traction and, and interest of, of people using the tool for certain functions, we learn from that. We, it's, it's this kind of community-inspired like function that as more and more people are using these very simple functions, we're talking about a 
data card, getting really a piece of data onto a two-dimensional floor plan. Mm-hmm. And they're synced. And that's mm-hmm. all it is. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not, it took many years yeah. to do it. I'm just saying Sounds that, simple. But that, no, yeah. In, in, a, in a very the simplistic function, people are constructing inventories of their entire floor plates. I, I haven't talked to any of those people in person, but they suddenly are doing it. Um, they are constructing their own furniture spec books. Uh, they're doing presentations to their clients. They're searching cards and probably someone else is buying their stuff or stuff that's actually showing up on that, that platform. But the, this tool is starting to go. And, and the reason I keep bringing this up is and why we feel so good about it is because there are stories of similar softwares that have been seen as a resource and have been built by the community to, 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 to something grander and bigger. There are mm-hmm. visualization tools. There are mood board tools. I'm not going to say their names. There are like collaborative, multifunctional presentation whiteboard tools that all had a free version. And they started to learn what the users uh, did. And they realized, hey, there, there are tools here we can build upon and honestly start to monetize at such a low capacity, a low cost, that these same designers that use it for free might find a benefit for paying a handful to use professional versions of it. And we're learning these things as we go forward. And that's, that's kind of where we're at now. The marketplace, we're, we're not, we haven't pivoted from the marketplace. Our marketplace will always be there. We will always have a, a set of curated brands and resell products, unique items to Kanoa that will be there for the community. But now we suddenly realize, we, let's lean into this design tool and see what can come out of it. And it's a beautiful tool. I think, you know, I, I talked a minute ago about tools people want to use versus, and this has been a theme on this show for a couple of years now, right? There's there's tools that people love to use and there's people that, there's tools mm-hmm. that people tolerate and there's tools that people hate to use. And it seems like, well, modern tools are starting to fall more on the the side of tools people love to use because they're specific they do the job really well. They perform very quickly. They can get to their data from anywhere. There's a lot of reasons why they they like using those tools. Can you talk about what it's like to actually use the platform? Because I, when I logged into there and I saw how easy it was to use, that is refreshing. Like just that alone, like it doesn't take a lot to figure out how to use this tool. But but I would like mm-hmm. for you to present because I'm sure you you're used to doing this. How do you present the the concepts behind your tool and and then maybe take us through the steps of what it's like to actually use it? Simply put, the concept of of the tool is is having having a curated uh, collection of goods um, with ease of access. You no longer need to ask other people to to curate or necessarily build upon that. I'm not trying to replace interior design at all. But, but as I go through this, um, sometimes people just want access to good design. Mm-hmm. And uh, how I go through the demos always is I start with the shop. And the shop, the, the, the curated shop, the, the transparency of our shop and the availability of the brands that we have as well as, as the Second Life uh, collection. And those two parts and pieces... Uh, always resonate. Um, honestly, whether you're a customer who has a space and they're looking to find a few products to buy for a room or two, 
honestly, if you're a person that purchases purchases furniture, that could find deals on second life collections for their own clients or or, or things of that capacity, that they they they'll find that very curious and very interesting. We don't hide anything behind that, um, and we're very open that we are a marketplace that once you check out, like that you you pay for that when you check out, uh, and that has limitations also uh, in terms of scale of what we have. People are not going to throw $1.5 million in their credit card like immediately, but it, it helps give, the, I'd say, the window and the boundaries we have as a marketplace. Um, creates less friction with those people that actually deal in projects and huge multi-million, 100,000 square foot projects that we're not doing your projects, but we have these offerings here. If you want some, feel free to knock yourself out. Uh, then it just it really just boils down into our planning function that the adding of any any item from our our shop into your project by adding the card dragging it over and dropping it down and i i always use a metaphor uh of a very successful tool um of a residential brand that happens to be from the uh danish area that uses the same type of approach in residential aspects to build mm -hmm. kitchens. Yeah, you drag a cabinet. I've done that. Yep. <laughs> no, most people do. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. To budget your kitchen, whenever you want to renovate your house, mm -hmm. you've gone to this place that serves meatballs in their 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 restaurant. That <laughs> you drag it a little image over to your floor plan square. It's not even an actual floor plan of your house. It's a square. Yeah. And you suddenly constructed your budget in in a matter of like twenty minutes, right? And you get to see what you have, right? Like once I once I draw it down to that, I I, I don't use um, fancy terminology. I don't talk about data in any one of of my presentations. I use that one metaphor, and ninety five percent of the time that resonates with the individual I'm talking to, and then they understand exactly how it goes. Now yeah. the day to day, it's as simple as that. If if you realize it takes you 20 minutes to build your kitchen, I have people come to me and say, "Hey, you know, I need some help on something. We we don't we don't provide the design service, but me just drag and drop into a room. They go, oh yeah, check this out. If you want to change it, knock yourself out. You can just drag and drop yourself. Right. Um, it is that quick in terms of of how reliable it is, and you can populate 10,000 square foot space in a matter of 20 minutes if you chose to. And the and you drag and drop kind of your own underlay into there, right? That you then mm -hmm. place these components into. And I right. uh, that that to me is because you probably already have that, that you can actually start using this tool immediately. You don't have to and I forgive me if I'm wrong, but I I, I don't think you have like a wall tool or a door tool or a or a window tool. You do not. Right. It's just you you're dragging and dropping and arranging and aligning and rotating components, which are these symbols of furnishings, right, into a plan. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's building a catalog of all that information in the back end. And you have access to all that the whole time. So you're bit like right. you're literally building the budget uh, with the elements that you've placed onto this canvas immediately. And it's super mm -hmm. fast, super flexible, easy to use. You've already done it in the, the meatball kitchen planning software, right? So you, you already know how to do this, but at the same time, I can raise my hand and say, I need help with whatever aspect of that I, I can, and, and you're there to do that. And, and, and then Kano is there to help. Now, now, I'll be super clear that we have, and I'll just say furniture dealer community, which originally thought that we were um, a competitor, which we are not at all, um, has started to explore our tool 
um, as it relates towards a sales tool mm. that actually designers and furniture dealers uh, have to redesign every option um, to entice people to buy their furniture for every prospective client. Right. But it often is the same catalog of pieces. Uh, we've seen people construct their own custom pieces on platform to empower their sales teams to sell their furniture. We see, again, we don't see any of that. Um, we don't sell anything of theirs, but it, it shows goes to show that even people representing furniture are trying to use the tool um, to help them succeed because uh, it's because the sales people do need to sell and often it means representing what that furniture would mean in a, an actual space. Yeah. So this is a powerful tool for them too. I want to go back to this thing that you mentioned earlier where you said this software is free. It's all you need mm -hmm. is a name to sign up for this. And something that I've believed for a very long time, and especially as it relates to the kind of audience that you're, you're catering to here, and, but I think it's, it's bigger than this, is design professionals should not pay for their tools because that there is so much margin built into, I don't even know if that's the right way to approach this part of the conversation, but it's like they're making their money on the sale of those tangible goods that go into the building and our buildings are 100% made up of all that stuff. We don't make any of it as design professionals. We just organize it. We make decisions mm -hmm. around it. We document it. That's the decision-making part, right? And then it gets turned over to somebody who then, who then builds it. But when those goods get sold to the contractor or the owner, whoever it may be, that is where like that money should be to me, it should be put into creating the platforms that make a designer's job easier to make these decisions. I'm curious what you think about that because you're tr you're choosing not to charge the end user in this case, the design team, not the end user of the of the building, but the design team for the tools to do their job. And so, I'm wondering if you agree with that, or if you see it differently, or what do you think about that? Um, I like this point. I would say uh, I don't want to be recorded any monetization conversation just yet, but I'll give you my personal opinion here that we 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 created free free access for a reason. Um, having access to information doesn't always have to be cost you a ton of money, mm -hmm. but the realization as an individual, not necessarily I'd say a profession professional or um, um, an individual, something that makes your life easier. Are you willing to invest a little bit into it? And that, mm -hmm. that's that's the question I'm getting at here. Like, I would say, a company, if a company sees that that certain individuals are are succeeding in something, because they're all kind of collectively getting together, uh, and a company can invest some dollars to to make it their own as well, and then build upon that. That that's that's one thing. I think an individual using our tool for free to source some products and plan tools is absolutely fine. Like for me, I, I think an individual, as an individual, I invest some certain dollars and cents for things that make my life easier. Sure. Um, sometimes they wouldn't even think it'd be easy, but you know, personally, just whether we pay $9 a month for Google storage uh, for you know endless emails or certain like that, my life becomes easier because I invest a few dollars of my personal funds to do it. Um, but eventually... I'll, I would say that if if I invest 
nine dollars in Google Google email, and then my colleague spends nine dollars to the email, and then my other colleague does that. Suddenly, we're all talking about, hey, we're all spending money on Google email. I think our company, if this makes our life easier in our daily flow, maybe the company should invest a little bit in this too. Hence the Google company like email investment, and then it grows from there. There's this inspiration that I think that um, we don't want to charge you to, to to show up to the platform. But if there are tools that can make your function better, like I think that if it's low enough an investment, it may be worthwhile. We just don't know yet at this point. Yeah, um, We're not going to stop a person from using our plan tool, constructing catalog cards, or honestly looking at our shop. It's just, that, that's, I think that's like the lesson number one. You don't, you don't create more friction for a free platform. How we monetize it into something successful, as other companies have done using a similar method, is something we're just trying to figure out right now. Yeah, um, the, it's going to revolve on making your life easier, though. There, there is this disconnect in that these companies, like some of these companies, not all of them, are creating their own software platforms. They're investing what I would assume are mm-hmm. you know probably millions oh, of yeah. dollars to yep. create tools for people to specify their furniture, and that totally makes sense. Right. But then where it where it breaks down is when that tool does or doesn't, or in different ways, you know, does or doesn't talk to the other software that the design professional uses in their tool stack. And so if there is a way to yeah. incentivize people to, I mean, cause that's what it all comes down to, right? They're incentivizing people to specify their products. They are the ones mm-hmm. paying for that. Um, but they might be misdirecting how they're spending that money to create, you know, what I would call like a proprietary system for only their stuff when buildings are made of lots and lots of different companies' components, right? Not just theirs. And so then it, that, that disconnection is actually working against the design professional, makes it really difficult. Mm-hmm. And the di- design professional isn't going to pay for, I don't know, they already do pay for probably tens in the order of 50 to 100 different tools. We can't, we can't grow that bigger than it already is it doesn't make any sense and, and the lesson that i hope they learn <laughs> which they may have not and probably hopefully I don't shoot myself in the foot here is that all those major companies that are building these systems these ai generated fit plan tools or these other manufacturers i'm talking about or these catalog features that are very mm-hmm. limited to what they select right they, they forget one thing is that in the mind of any designer they don't want to be bounded by a limitation they may never specify like the endless catalogs and pieces that exist in the world they may have like their 10 favorites but the minute that you say i'm going to basically put a clamp on your creativity it does not work it, right and we we all sign up this now it's you cannot stymie creativity you need to offer opportunity for all aspects of design and everything sourcing even though designers may not use it they want that and that is probably why certain tools, and I'm not going to name them, that have introduced the last two or three years that are phenomenal, millions of dollars being spent, are not being utilized as, you know, predominantly. Integrations are not. They're just not being used because they're limiting the, the creativity yeah. uh, to a handful of SKUs that some designers just don't want. Right. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating stuff, man. I, I, I really applaud how you have tied together the software and the hard goods side of things and a little bit differently than most companies are operating on that are come onto this show for sure which is they're strictly offering a a software product or a a platform or a SaaS tool or whatever it is you're actually 
you've built a marketplace that revolves around real world objects, giving them even, mm-hmm. you know, a selection of those, a second life, this opportunity to get further used. It, that to me is, is a fascinating take on solving problems for this industry. And it, it really, to me, shows a level of, uh, you know, just commitment to actually delivering on this promise of the circular economy, sustainability. You're not just making a tool that makes it possible. You're actually connecting more dots down the line to fulfill those things, to find a second home or a a third home or whatever it might be so that they can get used and extend the life of these things so that they don't end up in a landfill. And I think that that is a, it's a truly an amazing story, but also a model that I hope others can figure out ways to, you know, their take on that, not even in the same, you know, lane as you guys, but there's so many other lanes in the building industry that need to go in this direction. I, I think that, that it's a fascinating model and I, I applaud you for doing it. Yep. Great. Thank you. Well, anything else that we missed, Lance? I, I know that you guys have, have been rolling things out. I, I just really want to, you know, the call to action I think here is is to get people to check it out. Check out the tool. See what it That's can it. do. Just show up with Sign a floor plan. Bring a floor there. plan. Bring bring your own floor plan, B-Y-O-F-L. And, and sign into Kanoa, drop it in there, and just start laying stuff out. And just get a, a sense of what, what it can do. Because even if you're not going to use it on a project right now, at least you know what's possible. And I think just by doing, you know, spending 20 minutes in there is really going to open your eyes to, to maybe, maybe how things should be, but also start, get your gears turning on how you could use it on a project, you know, in the future, in the near future, hopefully. So mm-hmm. tell people how they do that. Very simple. You go on to www.kanoa.supply. And you sign up for free in the upper right-hand corner. It takes a total of 10 seconds to do. Yep. And that's it. Did it myself. I I, I was blown away by how easy that was. It, it's beautiful. So uh, Kanoa.supply is the link. I'll put Kanoa. the link to that supply. in the show notes. I'll put a link to Ping Lance about your uh, weird use of, of loving typing things into Excel. Please do. So that, I'd love so to see it. You can have that conversation with him. And, uh, and links to Kanoa and all different things in there as well on, on LinkedIn and on social media. So Lance, thanks so much for taking the time to share with us today. I, I appreciate it. It's good to catch up after two and a half years. No, lovely. Thank you so much. Thanks to our sponsors and thanks to our members this week. Find out how you can become a member at trxl.co. And I'll talk to you again next week.